0: Hi, guys, and welcome to the Booby Docs podcast. I am joined today by Dr. Deepa Hala Harvey and Monica Brooks from the Breast Cancer Podcast. They're breast cancer thrivers, and Dr. Hala Harvey is a breast surgeon, and
1: they're here to share their guidance and wisdom with us today. Welcome to the Breast Cancer Podcast, and today we have Dr. Robin Roth with us. How exciting. And for this episode, our
2: two podcasts are collaborating as one to bring you helpful information. We're going to learn more about what we do, how our podcasts are helping the community and what you can look forward to as well by being a listener. So sit back and relax, kick up your feet, go for a walk, whatever you want, as you listen to the Booby Docs and the Breast Cancer Podcast together. All right, Dr. Roth, let's start with you. Tell us a bit about yourself and why you call yourself the Booby Docs.
0: I am Dr. Robin Roth, and I am a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging. And what that means is that I am the doctor who interprets all of the breast imaging like mammogram, ultrasound, and MRI, and I'm also the doctor who does all the image-guided biopsies. So if we see an abnormality on your exam, then I'm the one who does the biopsy as well. Oftentimes, I'm the first doctor that a patient might meet on their breast cancer journey, So I really consider that a very important role. I run a social media account called The Booby Docs where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an approachable way. Um, besides being a breast radiologist, I am also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer in BRCA. So I really talk about the importance of early detection and knowing your risk on my social media account, The Booby Docs. I also run a a podcast called The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond, where I talk to members of the breast cancer team to ask the most important question and also speak to inspiring thrivers and providers to talk about their stories and what they've learned from their journey. So I'm really honored to do all of that, and it's really my passion in life.
2: It's so nice to be here with you today, Dr. Roth, and collaborate our podcast together. What are some things when people go to your podcast, what will they find? And also, what are some things that you're working on for the future?
0: Yeah, like on this season, I'm doing it. I mean, season one, if you haven't listened to season one of The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, I think that's a great place to start because I really sit down with the key members of the breast cancer team and ask like the most important question. So I sit down, my first episode with a, is with a breast surgical oncologist like you are. Yeah. And we talk about you know lumpectomy versus mastectomy, things like that. And then we talk to a radiation oncologist and episode one, we're really proud of, we did that together. This time, I'm, I'm going a little bit deeper. So I'm going to talk about things. Well, I spoke to my cousins who both were diagnosed with breast cancer in their 30s and subsequently found to be BRCA, you know, changed our family and kind of led me to breast imaging and just kind of diving deeper into these discussions about sexual health after breast cancer. What does it mean to be a survivor, which I know you guys just did a great episode on things like that, because breast cancer diagnosis, it's a lifetime. It's, it's a changed. lifetime
1: thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: um really trying to get dive a little bit deeper and in the survivorship journey. Yeah,
2: yeah, I've always said that cancer is a lifelong diagnosis. Yeah. So even though yeah. our hair grows back and we look quote unquote healthy, yeah. it yeah. is it is a trauma that we will live with and try to work through the yeah. rest of our lives. You, Dr. Hella Harvey, that mentioned on the podcast, like it's like a cycle. It's not like this linear, Hey, I'm better. You know, it's like, you know, we get down and we get
1: up and then we get down and we
2: get up, you know, it's like this thing that's just ongoing for the rest of our lives. I don't think a
1: lot of people realize. Yeah. One thing I think it's so powerful to know what this diagnosis brings and how you change as a person and what things you go through as the time goes on and depression, anxiety, fear of recurrence those things probably never go away. It does get better. I mean, as a a surgeon, I do this in a for living every day, but I also see patients who come in at stage zero, stage four, was it stage one or two a couple of years ago, a few years ago, now came back with stage four, all those things. Mm-hmm. Remind me that this can happen also to for myself, I think it's powerful to know this is just normal part of your new normals. Yeah. And But to not panic when that does happen, the fear of recurrence or depression or anxiety, because knowing that this is a part of the vicious cycle, you just have to recognize it, it's going to pass, you have to figure out a way to deal with it and go on. And so mm-hmm. we talked mm-hmm. about that last mm-hmm. episode. So mm-hmm. what do we expect for season two of your podcast
0: or the next few episodes? What should we look forward to?
2: So we definitely want to get back into some more interviews as well mm-hmm. we're going to talk about um, body image with a survivor. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a big thing yeah. as well. And yeah. things we have like a lot of resources for, like as, mm-hmm. as far as survivors, like survivorship, yeah. body image, things that we deal with long after we're done with treatment. So yeah. we definitely want to get more into talking to
1: survivors and how they're managing as well. An episode coming up. We're going to record a podcast on cold caps, you know, the cold caps women Mm can use during chemotherapy, uh, and just a a number of different things that are coming up.
0: I know, Monica, you're going through breast reconstruction soon, right?
1: I
2: am. And that's another one I want to talk about is deep flap. So when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I documented my whole journey on YouTube to help people. And that's something that I want to continue to do as well through deep flap because. It's um it's scary. It's it, any type mm-hmm. of surgery is scary. This one I'm you know, I feel confident in the doctors that are performing to yeah. me, Dr. Allah Harvey, as well as the deep reconstruction. Body image for me is a big concern. And I don't know who is secure in their own skin. Like like mm-hmm. feeling great about it but then you lose a breast and you're like okay now what do i do and now i know right. I more scars so i'm having my left breast mm-hmm. removed the scar in my stomach so i'm going to try and document that as well on youtube and you know and, and talk about it on the podcast yeah. too cuz i want to know what to expect so i want to be able to help other people
0: it's so important i think the whole journey everyone needs to see the down and dirty right yeah. like the, yeah. the the trials and tribulations and thank god we live in a world right now with social media like that yeah people can see this, like, right, if you were diagnosed 20, 30 years ago, you didn't have this support network. Right. right. Um, So that's like, one of the good things to come out of social media is, you know, the breast cancer community really has become tighter, more educated, more proactive. And it's, it's really empowering, I think, for women.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it is. And we talked about the last Episode balancing that yeah. exposure yeah. on social media because yeah. if you yeah. didn't know anything about deep flap and you looked it up you'd be like oh my goodness you oh probably God. be in yeah. shock I remember looking right. at when I was going to have a mastectomy I, I didn't really know a lot about it I was like I didn't know I'd be losing my nipple me personally in my case mm-hmm. I couldn't keep my nipple and I thought like it blew my mind. Like yeah. I just, mm-hmm. and I sent pictures to my friends, like, <laughs> look at this. Like I had no idea. So it's like, you have to really oh, yeah. the exposure that you have. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole of like too much information. Yeah.
0: And yet you look at those nipple tattoo artists and you're like, Whoa, this is a whole thing I never even thought about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> such a fantastic job of that. Too. Oh my God. So, yeah. So
0: I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit because I love both of your relationships. So for yeah. my listeners who are familiar with your podcast, you are both breast cancer thrivers and Dr. Hella Harvey, you were her surgeon yes, and you also had breast cancer. So tell yes. me a little bit about that and yeah. how.
1: Yeah. So I'll start with my story. Mine came before her. So I was uh, diagnosed at 41, uh, seven years ago. Um, and it just happened on a screening mammography. And so wow. I didn't have any symptoms or anything like that. Just Little uh, background on myself, Uh, I migrated to United States when I was 16 from India, my parents, you know, the immigrant uh, parents who focused on uh, hard work ethic, honesty, doing a great job at whatever you did. And so uh, my dad had a stroke before I went to medical school. So actually in between undergrad and medical school, I took a few years off to help take care of him. He said, you know, whatever you do, be good at it, you know, be the best mm-hmm. you can. But between taking care of him and then I had a child before medical school, a child in medical school, then my husband and medical school residency, you know, general surgery residency, so stressful. I didn't take care of myself. I wasn't working out and, you know, doing all those things we women put on the back burner. And I really yeah. was not even getting mammograms because of, I did not have any family history. And that's a, a myth. A lot of women will say like, oh, I don't have family history. Yeah. It's not going to happen to me. And we know like 85% of the time, women who are diagnosed with breast cancer don't have family history of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I, as I became a breast surgeon, I finished my fellowship. My father passed away just a few months after. Mm-hmm. And then Sorry. I went back to his words of be the best at whatever you do, be the best at it. Like, If you're going to wash bathrooms, be great, you know, cleaner of the bathroom. So my prayer was, how could I be the best breast surgeon? And then I always tell people the answer came in form of my own breast cancer diagnosis on a screening mammogram. Wow. And that's also an interesting story. I was putting off my mammography and my dad and I were talking and I said to my dad, my right side of my chest hurts. And of course, I wasn't having any symptoms and my dad said, "You need a stat mammogram." And so when he said that, I'm like, "How does he know mammogram? He's an engineer. He Like, he, I didn't right. know what it was." And so he's like, "I'm going to call an ambulance. You need a stat mammogram." And it just so happened oh that I went to get a mammogram, and there was a mass found in my right breast. So he knew. He knew. He, he knew. Was, and father's and I,
0: intuition. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. So tell me about that. So you had your mammogram and then you get called back.
1: So um, I always have a hard time telling you this short. story. <laughs> oh. Uh. But anyway, so, I mean, of course, I work at this hospital system. So they said, Oh my gosh, there is this speculated mass, meaning, you know, this mass that looks worrisome for cancer in your screening mammogram. You need to come back for a diagnostic mammogram and an ultrasound. And mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. They called me back the same day they did my biopsy. And of course, the usually the breast surgeon calls you with the results. But I have the pathologist who happens to be my friend called me. And I always tell the story that I said, did you, Are you sure it's my specimen? It's not somebody else. So, you know, you are in mm-hmm. such denial. You yeah because I didn't you know it was a very tiny mass very close to the muscle so so then thereafter, then I, you know, decided to undergo treatment and uh, my program director who trained me in my fellowship in breast surgery, who then also became my partner operated on me. And then I had a plastic surgeon. So,
0: yeah. Wow. I mean, how does that shape who you are as a surgeon?
1: I think what has changed in me is I put myself in the patient's shoes. Literally, we yeah. told you have breast cancer. I know how I was in denial myself. And so I expect patients to not to remember anything. Thing that I tell them, I usually spend about an hour with their new breast cancer diagnosis, going through the images, the pathology report, the, you know, the treatment plan, whether lumpectomy, mastectomy, the adjuvant therapies, whether they need chemo, radiation, endocrine therapy, so on and so forth. But I know very much that they're not going to remember what I tell them. So I expect wow. them to call me back. I sometimes call them back on the phone, you know, go through the whole thing again, or sometimes they come back into my office and we talk more. So I'm not surprised by them being in shock or in denial because I've gone through that myself. And as a surgeon, I just don't want to just take off the tumor and be say, okay, I'm done. You know, goodbye. Like For me, it's of a relationship I develop with this patient, and I want to take care of the whole person, not just removing that. That's just being a technical aspect of my job. But I want to know where the patient is. Is she divorced? Does she have a job? How many kids does she have? Does she have a support system at home? How can I help this person? And knowing that story, so I love taking them from that time you know, as a first responder to this woman who is in this crisis of being told she has breast cancer, someone who's so scared and uh, afraid of everything that's happening, to that place. Of not just being a survivor, but a thriver and helping them find that new normal.
0: I love it, that. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's the whole journey is like so important to me. So
0: beautiful. And it's such a segue to Monica's story, who was your patient. And, yes, uh, yes, your yeah. patients are so lucky to
2: have you. Oh, my oh God. well, thank what you so much. Thank you. I, Yes, I am Dr. Hala Harvey's patient. And, you know, I, I believe I was everywhere I needed to be that day and to have her as my mm-hmm. surgeon, because I, I literally went in for a diagnostic mammogram and I'm like, all right, let's do this. I got to go to work, you know, and then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, the radiologist, you know, wants a magnified mammogram. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever you got to do. I just got to get to work. You know, well, I didn't make it to work that day because then it was yeah. like, oh, yes, there's something, you know, bi rad five, I'm like, well, what's 5 mm-hmm. googling it and. And they're like, you know, we're going to try to get you in upstairs to see Dr. Halla Harvey. And I'm like, uh, by that time I was worried like, okay, this doesn't look oh good. God. And so, um, I went upstairs. I met Dr. Halla Harvey for the first time, super kind, super polite. She told me she was a survivor and she assured me right away. You're going to get through this. I'm a survivor. Yeah. Having someone tell you that. And in, in this like state of panic was so comforting to me. So, uh, yeah. um, she did an order for a biopsy and she literally called me the next day and, and that yeah. was meaningful. And it was in the evening. I remember we were trick-or-treating. I didn't have my phone and then she left me a voicemail to call her. And that's when I found out that, um, it, it is cancer. And my mind was blown like, wait, what, this is breast cancer. Hmm. Like me, like, wait a yeah. second. I'm a good person. Like, I don't understand, like, like, you know, those things don't matter, but then how now, old were you at the time? 37. 37 37. So why were you
0: getting a mammogram? Were you feeling
2: something or I had, um, a lymph node underneath my arm and I really wasn't even worried about it, which sounds crazy because my son always had lymph nodes since he was a baby and they go away. And so I was like, Oh, you know, I'm probably going to fight a cold here soon. Um, that was not the case. So I also had a biopsy on my lymph node and there was cancer in there as well. Wow it rocked my world. It was crazy. And then, you know, how we got to do the
1: podcast. I don't even like, like,
2: how did our relationship even get to where it was? Yeah. Yeah.
1: How much I wanted to help. I had this desire to help my patients and knowing that they don't remember everything you tell them in the office. I'm like, I need to find a way to put this information someplace where they can go back and listen to the podcast. So now, you know, I have this, so I'm like, okay, Monica, like, and I know she was so passionate and she wanted to do something. And I'm like, Monica how about we do a podcast together and I had no idea what a podcast is or how you do it or yeah. you know how much time and work it takes and I tell you this has been one of the most meaningful Fulfilling things for me. It just turned out to be such a great avenue. And like you said, social mm-hmm. media has become such a great place to find good information. Yeah, I think that's how we got started. Yeah. So
2: yeah. I just I remember you texting me, like, yeah. hey, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? I was like, actually I have. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't know what we were doing. And yeah. sometimes, you know, yeah. in life yeah. you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You just have to get jump, jump in yeah. with two feet yeah. and go yeah. and evolve. So
0: I am totally with you. I feel the same way. I mean, I wanted information. So I'm a, I'm a radiologist, okay? So I'm the person who, if you come in for your mammogram, calls yes. you back and then does the workup. So, and most people don't really interact with their radiologists, right? But I'm often the person who's diagnosing it. A woman with breast cancer, so it is a really important role. And I actually, I started the podcast because I had questions, and also I found so many women in the same position looking for this help. Like they're like, "What do I do now?" And I said, "Well, you're going to meet with your surgeon. How great would it be if we sat down with the surgeon and ask these important questions?" So I do the same. Like I often will give them my podcast. Like when you're ready, here's you know, listen to this. It's it is such a good way for information to live in
1: perpetuity. Yeah. It's and we talk
2: about too, like this information, is going to be out there yeah. as long as podcasts yeah. are available or oh, yeah. yeah, whatever. It's our
1: legacy, right? Exactly. Right. And that's legacy. what we say. It's our electronic legacy. That's going to be there even yeah. after you're gone, you know? And so I, and you guys, what you guys are doing, that's phenomenal and doing the same thing, helping yeah. not just the people locally. I mean, my idea was to help people locally. So, you know, yeah. to talk about all these things that services we offer for these patients, but I mean you guys are helping people around the country and the world and Monica just sent me some statistics about where people downloaded our podcast it's like not yeah. just national but yeah. international i was it's like so cool. oh. wow it was just I <laughs> surprising did. i have
0: i have some listeners in india and australia i was like yeah. oh my god shout yeah. out to india and yeah. australia yeah. so let's go back you know so you you found yourself you didn't feel this i guess uh, monica did cuz he felt the lump but for for uh, Dr. Hella Harvey, you know, it was caught on a screen mammogram. So there was something abnormal, you get called back. So you get that birad zero. Right. Um, so a birad zero means it's incomplete. And it's right. anything from like an obvious cancer to like just overlapping tissue, sometimes we can't tell. So then a woman will come back for their diagnostic appointment, which is when you meet with me, the radiologist, and we do additional images like you described, and then kind of give you our evaluation at the end. So Oftentimes we have somebody, you said a category five, a BIRADS category five. So that means it's highly suspicious. So it's pretty obvious to the radiologist based on morphology that it's, you know, cancer. And that's a really hard position to be in when the radiologist has to come in and say, you know, I really see something that I'm worried about and we have to biopsy this. I mean, biopsy recommendations, if you get a category four, so BIRADS four means it's suspicious. When I, when I recommend a biopsy in a four, the cancer rate, it's anything between two and 95%. Wow. Right. Yeah. So very large. Right. right. So 80, 80% of the biopsies we do off a of category four will be benign. Only 20% will be cancer. But if you're sitting there with a category five, which it sounds like probably both of you had, it's 95%. Right. be cancer, if it's not cancer, we're going to take it out. Right. right. We're going right. to recommend incision because it doesn't make sense. So I think it's important for women to understand, like if they get called back, what does that mean? It yeah. doesn't always mean you have cancer, right? Most times, you guys are the the one side of the spectrum, but most times it'll be okay. So yeah, for anyone yeah. listening that gets called back, don't automatically think you have cancer. But um, certainly, you might not want to go back to work right after it, because you might get b- bad news that you don't really want to hear. Um, or they might rush you in for an emergent biopsy. So just be in that mindset that like, you know, it's clear your schedule, the worst that happens is that you get say everything's okay, and you go get yourself a drink to celebrate. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah.
2: I've had a few people call me that said, oh my goodness. I have to go back in for another mammogram. I'm really scared. I'm like, hey, most mm-hmm. of the time it is nothing. You know, yeah. for, the, I mean, and yeah. another right. it's cancer, but, and those two were fine. The people yeah. that had called me and, and they were fine. They just wanted to check something else or get an ultrasound yeah. and, and all was well. So you're right. It doesn't have to be this, oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: It's just, hey, yeah. let's, let's yeah. clarify
1: what we're seeing here. I have such a cool role of telling those people like my suspicion for cancer is low. And when I say that, mm-hmm. I mean they're like holding their breath and because they in you know, our patients here they see us if, so they have if they have abnormal imaging they come see us before they have a biopsy and our radiologists do oh. biopsies just like you guys do. And mm-hmm. so they see us for an exam just to make sure there's nothing in the same breast or the opposite breast, and then they go to the biopsies. But my job is to help prepare them. Someone who thinks they're going to die the next minute. No, you don't. You, I mean, with yeah. the, cancer, you know, the mortality is really low. If everything gets caught mm-hmm. in the early stage, good treatment options are out there. Getting your mammography, you know, starting at age 40, if you have no family history, if your average risk patient and all those things, if you do those and so to tell them, Hey, this most likely this is not going to be anything, but we just need to know have the tissue sampling for the pathologist to tell us it's not anything. And I prepare them. We'll uh, see you back in six months with another ultrasound or a mammogram. Do you guys do the same thing if the biopsy comes yeah. back online? see them back in six months? Yeah.
0: Uh, oftentimes we will follow it, especially, you know, if it's like a vague area, um, but like you said most women don't have a family history of breast cancer that are diagnosed. So right. don't let a lack of family history prevent right. you from starting your annual mammogram at 40 if your average risk. Like there is a large portion of people that should be screened earlier and with supplemental imaging and I want to talk about that for a second cuz that's really important. So if you had a first degree relative of somebody that was diagnosed with premenopausal breast cancer you're going to want to start 10 years before their age of diagnosis but not before age 30 mom- For mammography or 25 for MRI so oftentimes like like if your mom was diagnosed at 35 you would want to start your MRI annually at at 25 and then starting at age 30 start adding in mammograms and kind of doing both of them every year because you are considered high risk then also risk factors you know the Society of Breast Imaging actually recommends that all women especially Ashkenazi Jewish and Black women be assessed for risk factors no later than age 30 so you can really identify women that are high risk for breast cancer and would benefit from that earlier and supplemental screening. Because we know most people don't have breast cancer that are diagnosed with breast cancer. But if you have risk factors, you definitely are increased risk um, over your lifetime, especially in your 30s. And that, we're trying to find those people with that supplemental screening.
1: So I do have a question for you. What do you guys yeah. do for those women with dense breast tissue?
0: All right. So this is a really hot topic yes. right now. As you know, Katie Kirk was just diagnosed right. and she was talking about the importance of supplemental screening. So breasts are composed of fat and fibroglandular tissue. The more fibroglandular tissue or dense breast tissue you have, the whiter your breasts appear on mammography. Um, and the problem is that breast cancers are also white. So it's harder to find a small white cancer in the background of white dense breast tissue. Think of it like finding a snowflake in a blizzard. And the problem is that also dense breast tissue is an independent risk factor for breast cancer. So a woman with extremely dense breast tissue is four times more likely to develop breast cancer than a woman with fatty breast tissue. So dense breast tissue is really like a double-edged sword. It makes it harder to see breast cancers, and it's also, it increases your risk for developing breast cancer. Um, So that's why I really talk about the importance of supplemental screening, especially in women with
2: dense breast tissue. So for our listeners, Dr. Roth, like how do we know if we have dense breast tissue or not.
0: The only way to know your breast density is actually by reading your mammogram report. So the radiologist will assign your breast one of four categories, fatty, scattered, heterogeneously dense, and extremely dense. Um, and it will be listed under breast composition in your mammogram report. So if you see the words heterogeneously dense or extremely dense breast, that means that you have dense breast tissue. So you should really consider um, supplemental ultrasound MRI, or even contrast mammogram depending on your risk factor.
2: This is so helpful and I'm so glad we're doing this together because I am learning so much. And I guess my next question is, how often should the supplemental screening be done?
0: So if you're over 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer, you're going to want to supplement with MRI. I like to alternate like, you know, in January, every six months. So January, have your mammogram. And six months later, you have your MRI. So you're never going longer than six months without some kind of imaging. Um, If you're like at average or intermediate risk and you have dense breast tissue, you really should consider a supplemental breast ultrasound. Um, I had that, you know, the first one's always the hardest because if we find something and we don't know what it is, either we have to follow it or biopsy. And that's like the argument what critics will cite as the reason not to do supplemental breast imaging is that you might find something that's not cancer, but warrants a biopsy. I think most motivated patients will tell you, I would rather know that this is benign, You know, have the biopsy and move on with my life, but with the potential of possibly can- catching cancer early, Um, supplemental ultrasound has shown that you find earlier node negative cancers that are more treatable. So it definitely is beneficial if you're a proactive patient. It's not for everybody, as long as you understand what the downside is. But for me and my patient population, my patients really want it.
1: So at our institution, we do abbreviated MRI is something that they're okay. doing for these women who are like average risk or you know intermediate, intermediate risk. Yeah. And uh, some other institutions do contrast enhanced mammography. Um, I just wanted to know your your opinion on what you think of the abbreviated MRI versus the contrast enhanced mammography.
0: I love both. I really do. If those are available to you, I think those are great tools. I mean, if you're going to do that, there's no need to do uh, ultrasound, I think. Yeah. contrast mammogram and abbreviated MRI, abbreviated MRI is like one, it's like three sequences instead of the standard, like 11 sequences. So it takes about, you know, 20 minutes and it's really a screening test. Like if there's something abnormal, then we have to do a full MRI and kind of work it up and contrast mammogram. We do it here at Cooper. I love it. I wish that, I really wish that I said, I propose a study of like intermediate risk for breast cancer, just give them all contrast mammogram because yeah. we could just see the dense tissue like melts away. And so I love both of those modalities. I think any of them are good. Yeah, we actually
1: had a law passed in, in Ohio now where insurance companies are being mandated to pay for these additional sc- um, screening images Im- uh, modalities. That's, sorry. So that's it, great. Yeah, in the past, we didn't have that. So now insurance companies are mandated to pay for those. Yeah.
0: I think it's only, I think 38 states have some sort of dense breast notification law. And then like only 14 of those in DC, have insurance coverage. So right. yeah, we're getting there. You're and getting there. Slow budget
1: happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Question as a patient, so yes. there are some of the recommendations for having yes. a first degree relative. Okay. So my concern right. would be Um, the risk of radiation over a lifetime, and what that would do to Mm -hmm. someone who starts when they're 25 years old, and does this once a year, like what, what, what's the concern? Or is there a concern?
0: So there is concern with mammogram. And that's why you don't really start mammograms till 30. um, Because the breast is still developing. And the risk of the radiation dose of a mammogram is so low, it's like flying cross country to LA, but in the developing breast, especially if someone is BRCA, or, you know, cancer prone, you don't want to do that. So that's why we start with MRI at age 25. There's no radiation in an MRI. So there's no concern there. And then starting at 30, we start doing mammograms. And again, the breast should be done developing by then the risk is so low, you know, and then it brings up like a woman who has a genetic mutation may not keep their breast for their whole lifetime. So it won't be their whole lifetime. They benefit that way. The risk, right? right? Yeah.
2: You said that radiation isn't in the MRI. Is there any risk with an MRI over time? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there is gadolinium contrast, you know, has potential damage to your kidneys and even your brain over like with repeated use. But again, it's really a small dose. Presumably this other this 25 year old is otherwise healthy. You know, so it is you do have to weigh the risk and benefit. There's always a risk with any test. But again, you might find your breast cancer earlier. So. Um, like if you have a gadol, if you have renal toxicity, you can always do a contrast mammogram, different kind of contrast. It's a little bit easier on the kidneys. So there are things we could do, and ultrasound has none of that—none, no radiation, no contrast. So if that's a concern, then certainly you could do an ultrasound. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's helpful. that's just a concern I always have when I go in yeah. for an or whatever. is like, okay, how much radiation am I getting exposed to? And I've actually seen a list. Yeah. I was at the dentist office and they showed a list of all the things that have radiation, how low they are. And like you said, yeah. it compares it to a flight from, you know, across the country to LA and, you know, you have yeah. a risk of radiation there, but it's so minimal. Yeah. Um, it's
0: so low that we actually do recommend, the recommendation is we can do mammography in pregnant people. The right. R- the, the risk it's the most is It's so newest low.
1: recommendation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we could also cover the fetus if that's like a concern with yeah. The blood. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Since we're talking about imaging, the one other question I also get from patients, yeah. it's is like last week, this patient was stage one breast cancer. And she was crying because we were not getting, you know, serial and CT right. scans to follow her okay. to make sure that she doesn't have, you know, cancer in the other part of the body. And yeah. I said, we really don't have guidelines, you know, we go off of the National Cancer Comprehensive Network Guidelines, yeah. which don't recommend us getting CT scans or bone scan unless the patient is symptomatic. So to breast cancer typically goes to bone, brain, lungs, and liver. So abdominal mm-hmm. cough, you know, weight loss, um, uh, headaches, things like that is when we get those additional, you know, imaging. And I said to her, like the studies have shown the just the effects of radiation can accumulate over a period of time if you're asymptomatic or if you don't have symptoms, or if you're a stage yeah. three breast cancer. So how do you counsel patients on that? Or have, have you ever been asked about that?
0: I don't know. I I feel that. Like I, I if I was a patient who had metastatic breast cancer at some point, I'd be like, give me. All the CT scans every few years, and I actually asked that question. I was like, "Are they, you know, scanned every few years just to make sure everything's okay?" And they said, "No. The problem is that, like, the likelihood of it metastasizing, thankfully, is low, right? Even at right, five to right. two years out, yeah. Um, you're probably going to find things that you don't want to find that will cause more problems, like a liver lesion. Maybe it's a cyst, but then it, like, maybe has the biopsy. So it's you don't always want to go doing imaging tests." you might find things that need workup that is going to be annoying over your lifetime um, and really inconvenient and low yield. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's the take home point. Just like right. follow the guidelines. I understand the desire to just want to make right. sure everything's okay. But like it might find something like a nodule and right. that will just throw you off also. Right. It's probably I, not related to a breast cancer.
1: And I heard your episode on uh, where you had your episode where you had the breast surgeon on talking about breast MRIs. And I'm, yeah. I'm so like her, I'm also a minimalist when it comes to breast MRIs. We yeah. absolutely get them if a patient has an invasive lobular carcinoma. Of course, if they're high risk, uh, if they yeah. have had mantle radiation to the chest wall for you know non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or uh, if they're just considered high risk or they have a mutation, a BRCA mutation or some other mutation. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't routinely get it only because it does increase the, chance of getting additional biopsies because of the yeah. positive rate and causes anxiety. And studies have shown that has increased the number of mastectomies that are being performed because of the MRI. So yeah, we have this discussion at the tumor board conference. I usually say, okay, every time we get an MRI, so now it's like a trifecta, they're going to find something in the liver, they're going to find something, you know, in the, in the pancreas. And now the now the patient yeah. needs a scan a CT scan MRI mm-hmm. of the liver, you know, so it's like a trifecta, like you were getting more imaging because now you've got this MRI. So I'm a minimalist. Yeah. I will get it if I'm looking to see if a patient had chemotherapy to see if that chemotherapy has helped shrink down the tumors. Yeah. So now yeah. I can do a you know, lumpectomy or a partial mastectomy. It's the same thing. Um, or to also look at the lymph nodal status if the lymph nodes have completely gone away from the chemo. And then I can right. then do a sentinel lymph node biopsy rather than a lymph node dissection, which is a little bit bigger surgery. So what's your take on MRIs? I mean, I think
0: there is util- like a lot, like you said, invasive lobular or somebody that you think has more extensive disease oh, than right. you're really seeing on imaging. I think it's important, especially if they're like leaning towards breath conservation therapy and you want to know the, the extent, right? Like, I think that's a good role for it. Um, but yeah, certainly we see things that it's more sensitive, but not specific. So we'll see lots of background enhancement and things light up that we kind of can't ignore, especially if someone's going to go, undergo breath conservation therapy or a lumpectomy, you're going to want to, like the worst thing you could do is take her to lumpectomy and leave cancers behind. Right. So I think there are definitely times that you should be looking. Right. But yeah, if somebody is really motivated towards having, you know, if they know they're going to have a mastectomy, it's not going to change management. I don't know that there's any role for it, but yeah, like you said, you, I think you have to weigh again. Every test has you have to weigh both. of right, right. Is it going to change management it at It's going to change
1: your management. Correct. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Then that's the time to use
1: it. Right, and 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 thankfully in our uh, location, our institution, as with most institutions, where we talk about every patient at our tumor board conference. So it's yeah. not just me making the decisions, it's the whole team. And yeah, that's what I love about <laughs> breast cancer treatment: is not just one person, but it's a uh, multidisciplinary team approach where everyone will give their input on what they think is best for the patient. So definitely. Uh, so it gives them that personalized care. So
0: what was your biopsy experience? Like, were they okay? Like, was it painful?
2: With biopsy experience? Was it-, um, it, yeah. was painful. it was one it of the most painful. painful things. Even mm-hmm. they named it, And I remember laying on the table and I just started like crying. So I'm usually like a pretty tough girl. Like I'm just gonna yeah. you know, I can do this. Let's do it. Let's go in there and get it. And um, It was so deep, and I don't think it uh-huh. could numb it completely. And oh. so I felt that clip uh, that they okay. put in as a marker, yeah. and I it hurt so bad.
0: Oh um, no! And they were
2: they were nice. My husband was there okay. by that time, and so, but it was probably one of the worst things I experienced. Oh.
0: <laughs> I was hoping you say wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah. The
2: lymph node was fine. Like I didn't feel any uh-huh. pain when they biopsied okay. the lymph node. but The actual like tumor, it 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 yeah. was pretty painful.
1: Yeah. Do you remember yours? Mine did not hurt at all. So yeah. a radiologist who did my biopsy, uh, her name is Dr. Lauren Miller. She did a fabulous job, and um, the, and the good thing too is I tell patients um, whenever I see them before she's doing their biopsies or her partners, they're all fantastic, and I say, you know, I myself had a biopsy. It did not hurt. You'll just feel the little bee sting just very quickly, just for a second, and then it's all
2: wired. No, I'm just kidding.
1: I always tell people. Yeah. It should feel like pressure,
0: not pain. So right. I'm just gonna say this to your listeners if you're having yeah. a biopsy and it's really painful, ask for more numbing medicine. Like don't be shy because it really yeah. should feel like pressure. Right. I've heard horror stories, but it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. So I did a TikTok on, on um breath biopsy ASMR. Oh yeah. Oh You'll my god. <laughs> and it's and it's like not to make light of the like of the, yeah. the of the experience, but like the sounds are really jarring, like the click, yeah. the vacuum, it's all a lot. So I always yeah. like try to let people hear it first because it is, it's very startling.
1: Yeah, so. yeah it is very, that I think that is the scary. I, I mean, if you tell the patients what to expect, I think it's not. Yeah. That, yeah. I,
0: I always tell people a man invented this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so people who want to find you on social media, where can they find you?
2: You can find us at the Breast Cancer Podcast on Instagram, and we'll link to your Instagram, yes. Dr. Hala Harvey, because you have some very helpful information for survivors yes. as well. Yes, it's Dr. <laughs> D Hala Harvey on Instagram. Great. And for you, Dr. Roth, where can our audience find you?
0: So you can find me at the Booby Docs, B-O-O-B-I-E Docs um across all social media platforms and i talk about breast cancer in an educational and
1: fun way you thank know? you for all you're doing for the community and this world you're making a huge difference so thank you guys so much very vibrant yes. and very positive yes. you That's
0: too. i love you i am big girls of you both and i'm uh, so happy we got to do that thank you thank you so much thank, thank you, you, so much. Awesome. Thank you. For your have time. a great rest of the day thank, all all you. thank you so much you too thank bye. you bye-bye okay, bye.